Then David said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. He and Nathan agreed that David should build a house for God. But during the night, the Lord came to Nathan in a revelation, saying, Go and tell my servant David, This is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with the tent as my dwelling, wherever I have moved with all the Israelites. Did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Nathan faithfully relayed the message to David. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Stunned by these words, King David sat before the Lord and prayed, How great you are, sovereign Lord! There is no one like you, and there is no God but you. Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight. I am a man discovering destiny. I am a father leaving a legacy. I am the King of Israel. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Warm welcome. Um, I've been coaxed and prompted all week for me to actually start this talk by saying, I am David. I actually am, but uh, I'm not going to do it, okay? I'm going to start in a different way. Um, I don't know if, if you're anything like me. Uh, anybody here like a story? Okay, three of us like that story. Okay, come on. Anybody here like a story? Right, okay, this is holiday season, okay? School holidays started last week, so I'm going to need a lot more love from the congregation than that, okay? You're feeling a lot happier than that, aren't you? Yeah, yeah that's more like it. Okay, so anybody here like a story? Yeah. yeah, good. I love stories. I love stories about people. Uh, quite recently, I, I love watching biographies, biographies. I love just hearing about people. If I see someone on the news that I don't know about, I, I can I, uh, Google and all that stuff and just try and find a little bit about them. And recently, I've been, I've been reading about the uh, kind of past life of a young boy. Uh, these pictures on the screen just coming up here. Uh, some of you might recognize him straight away. But this young boy uh, is actually a young man now, but he uh, was the youngest, he is the youngest of four children. He was born into a poor, humble, but loving family. His mum and dad, hard workers, brought up their four sons, uh, four children. And this, the, the youngest child, the son, he wasn't very good at school. He didn't get on too brilliantly at school. But he had one talent that he totally focused on. 
And he focused on it and focused on it and focused on it till when he was 17, he came out as a football player in the Premier League in England. Cristiano Ronaldo is this young lad. Uh, yeah, some of you like football, okay. This is not about football, this is about the boy, okay. But now, age 31, his rise to fame has been stratospheric, isn't it? From a humble beginning right through to the fame that he has now. And the thing which I loved most about his life is lots of things that, that are really good, but one of the things I really liked about it is now that he's age 31 and he's earning quite a lot of money, he's actually giving a lot of that money to help other people. In the last few years, my research shows that he has given 3.5 million euros away of his earnings uh, to help other people. He's built schools, he's built hospitals, he's done all sorts of stuff to help the children who were in the position that he was in when he was a young lad. That's something wonderful, isn't it, to be able to do that? What a wonderful story. Now, if you like stories like that, you're going to absolutely love this chapter of the life of David. For the benefit of those who are just joining us for the first time today, <clears throat> we've been looking at the life of David over the last six or seven weeks, and we started way back when he was a shepherd boy, uh, the youngest in the family, kind of like off the bottom of the kind of pecking order. And those of you who know, he, he, came, he came and killed a giant Goliath and started this kind of uh, sense of his life building up. Well, we, today we, we're picking up the story in 2 Samuel chapter 7, and he is now, uh, let me get the age, he is a 43-year-old man, who, so he's no longer in the pasture, and the passage that we had read a moment ago told us, God said, I brought you from the pasture, where you were a 15-year-old shepherd boy, and I've now placed you as a prince in a palace. Amazing story. So much so that all the street signs in uh, Jerusalem at the time say Jerusalem, as you would expect, but it says under it, the city of King David. That's how famous this person is. Uh, but this story that we come to today, we realize that having reached the point where he's gone to just about as high as you can go, being the king of the whole of Israel, he brought the Ark of the Covenant, which is representing the very presence of God, into the city of Jerusalem uh, last week as we were studying it. And here today, we pick up his story. Now, the chapter has got three kind of episodes inside it, and you might have heard those as we heard the story read out. There's the episode of him thinking, what am I going to do now that I'm living in a palace? We'll come back to that in a second or two. Uh, there's the episode about the promises of God that are poured into his life, and you heard some of those read out. Come back to those in a minute. And the third was the prayer. He was stunned by the promises of God that were poured out in his life, and he makes this amazing prayer that we might replicate. So that's the three episodes of the chapter. Those of you who are, uh, have done any public speaking notes, a gift to have three Ps, okay? To have the palace, the promise, and the prayer. Now, we all know that God's Word isn't given to us simply to be history, although that would be good, but it's given to us so that we can read it, we can understand it, we can share it together. I want to share with you my thinking on it, and then to act on it, because God's Word is active 
now. And I believe and I proclaim that today is an activation day. And I'll come back to this thought just in a moment or two. I'm giving all my ends out before we get beginning. But today is an activation day. Something is going to change today. Something is going to move on, I believe, in the lives of many of us here. Can you believe that for yourself? Can you believe, when it's summer, can you believe that God is going to activate something in your life? I can. I've been praying for you to that end. So what I'd like to do is look at each of the three episodes, see what we can learn, and then we'll land on the word activation. Okay? I'm glad you said yes, because that's what we're doing anyway. Okay, so first lesson then. What can we learn from the palace? The story begins, this chapter begins with a problem. Uh, and it's outlined for us, David's words, here I am, living in a house of cedar, open brackets, grand designs, really expensive, nice house, palace, while the ark of God remains in a tent, open brackets, dusty canvas out there somewhere. So as the heat of the battle has died down, and God has brought David to this great place where he is the king over the whole of Israel, what would you do? He sat back with a glass of Chardonnay in one hand, and a Twix in the other, because that's what you do when you're a prince. Uh, and you, you're just enjoying that. When he gets this stirring that something is quite not, it's not right. He's living in what could only be described as a grand design palace. And he believes that God, represented by the Ark of the Covenant, is actually living in a, in a tent. So it's a good idea. He says, I know what I'll do. I'll build a temple that God can live in. It'll be bigger and better even than this palace. And that will do God due honor. It's a good idea, isn't it? Gets his friend Nathan and says to Nathan, uh, what do you think? Nathan thinks, well, seems a good idea to me. Go ahead if it pleases you. Anyhow, in the night, <clears throat> you heard the story, Nathan uh, gets visited by God. I don't know whether he's praying and God spoke to him or, or something. Somehow or other, God comes to Nathan and says, Nathan, I've got a message for you to take back to David. So in the morning, Nathan goes back to David and says, hey, uh, hang on a minute. The Lord says this. It's a big, long chapter. You can read it in your own 2 Samuel chapter 7. But here's a summary of it. I don't want a temple. I never wanted a temple. And if I did want a temple, you wouldn't be building it. In fact, your son Solomon would be building it. So God knows that he is going to have a temple that's going to be built by Solomon. Now, what did David do? I don't know about you, but have you ever had a situation when you think God is against my plans? Uh, what do we tend to do? We tend to get a lip on. We, we tend to think, uh, well, call yourself God. I'm going to build you a temple, I can, a massive thing. It's going to be good for me because actually when he builds that temple, his fame goes stratospheric, doesn't it? You become the most famous person ever. But God says, no, that's good, but it's not great. It's not what I want you to do. David doesn't mock around and complain. Actually, it seems that David just accepts simply that that's what God wants him to do. And the lesson that we get from the palace is this, to put first things first. First things first. You see, when you put God's will and purpose first in your life, everything else falls into the right place. Where our lives get unraveled is where we put our things first and the confusion starts there. David doesn't argue with God, bemoan the fact. He realizes this priority is to do what God wants to do. Now, where did he learn that? He didn't learn it in the palace, because this is where this whole episode is learning. I want to propose to you that he learned it in the pasture. 
as he was being obedient to God as a shepherd boy and killing Goliath and all of that stuff and all the stories that we've heard over the last six weeks, that's where he learned that the best thing in life is to do what God wants you to do and to trust him. You see, David's prayers are as true in the palace as they were in the pasture. So for example, Psalm 23, you know quite well, some of you, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack for nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet, he, he leads me, see, so land it in the pasture. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path. He guides me along the right path. See, so when you land it in the pasture, you can apply it in the palace. What's that got to do with us? We're not in a pasture, we're not in a palace. What it's got to do with us is that when you discipline your own life to obey God in the simple things, day in and day out, the simple things, when a big thing comes along and it's hard to know what to do, you've already built that sense of, I want to do first and foremost what God wants to do. You get that? So it's a completely transformative way of living. David Sam's poured out some more stuff on this Psalm 18, for example. He says, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Where did he learn that? He learned that when he was a simple shepherd boy. And now that he's a king of the whole of Israel, he gets to apply the lessons that he learned as a young man. So it is for us too. The lessons that we can learn every day, we can apply in the big things in your life. Now, I became a Christian, some of you know this, when I was about 17 years old. And the great thing was that I was surrounded by quite mature Christians. In fact, it was an old people's church. There were loads of old people there. I had been Christians for donkey's years. In fact, the leaders were like 90-odd, right? They were, it, it was wonderful because there was so much wisdom in there. And one of them, when I went to Bible college when I was 21, gave me a little plaque. I've been trying to find it, but because I moved house six months ago, it's still in the garage in a box somewhere. Someday I'll bring it and I'll show you. But a little uh, plaque, uh, uh, kind of photograph, and they'd written on this photograph, always do, uh, what's this effect? Take God's priorities first. And what I, they taught me, what they asked me to do, they said to me, suggested to me, a lovely lady by the name of Anne, Every morning when you get up, David, for the rest of your life, say to God, I want to do what you want me to do today. Now, what I've learned is that when you do that, when life is easy, when life gets tough, it's not hard to say yes to God. So we've had to make some big decisions in our life, as, as we all have, and we've made them with the same faith that we learned on the little things. That the number one thing is to put God first in our things. By putting God first thing, we first, we position ourselves for God to use us above and beyond what we could ever imagine. Can you believe that for yourself? By putting him first and foremost, by doing what he wants first, we position ourselves for God to bless us beyond what we could ever imagine. I speak that over you. I believe it to be absolutely true. So the lesson from the palace is put first things first. Now, because David did do that, and David trusts God, God can entrust big things to him. And in the second episode of the story, we hear the promises of God poured out over the lovely David, the promises of God poured out over his life, promises that God will provide him with a legacy. That's why we've got this word legacy just coming up here. We'll come back to it in a moment or two. And this is the lesson of the promise. The lesson of the promise for us is to live 
life as a legacy. Now, what does that mean? Now, God's promise to David is revealed in a wonderful little play in words. I wonder if you heard it emphasized as we heard the reading earlier. What we heard was David saying, God, I want to build you a house. And God comes back through Nathan the prophet and says, uh, this is what God says. God says, you're not building me a house. I'm going to build you a house. So David could be, could be confused. Well, I'm living in a palace. It's an amazing place, a place of cedar. What kind of house are you going to build for me? But the Hebrew word that's there can be taken two ways. David took it the first way, which is bricks and mortar and cedar and gold and all that stuff. So he was thinking, I'm going to build God a house of physical bricks and mortar and all of that. But the same Hebrew word can mean a living and kingly dynasty. Aha, you get it now, don't you? In fact, First Chronicles, which tells the same story, but just in a different book in the Bible, uses exactly that phrase. Uh, David says, I'm going to build you bricks and mortar, and God says, I'm going to build you a kingly dynasty, a legacy. Here is the promise that's uh, summarized. The Lord himself will establish a house for you. Surprise, surprise. You thought you were giving me a house? I'm going to give you a house. When your days are over, i.e. when you're dead, and you rest with your ancestors. God says, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Now spot the difference here. David thinks bricks and mortar, gold, cedar, and all that. I'm going to build something that's going to last, what, maybe a few thousand years. God says, I'm going to build you something, a dynasty, a kingly dynasty, that's going to last forever forever. God is getting David's attention by saying, don't focus on the little things, focus on the legacy. That's why we've got this big word up here. Over the next six weeks, we're going to explore that David actually lived out this very word. He, he accepted what God said, and he started to live a life of legacy. Now, legacy for me, I just thought this up earlier, see if it works for you. Let every great achievement continue for years. Let every great achievement continue for years. That's what God was saying to David. All your great achievements, if you take charge, they're only going to last a little time. But if you put first things first, you listen to my promise and do what I say, I'm going to give you a promise that's going to go on forever. That's the kind of thing we are wanting to choose. Now, what do we really mean by the word legacy? I think we know, don't we? All of us would like a legacy, wouldn't we? We'd all like to get up tomorrow morning and find a letter behind our letterbox to say, we found a long lost aunt that you never knew existed. She never spoke to you, she never blessed you, but she was a trillionaire and she had nobody else except you. And it's all yours. Now, we know what a legacy is, don't we? It's something that's handed on to us on the, the, the end of life of the person who owns it. Uh, my mother-in-law, amongst her many attributes, worked for a charity for uh, more than 20 years as their legacy officer. And what she did was when someone wanted to leave a legacy to the charity, uh, they would make contact with the, the offices that were where she worked, and she would go out uh, and collect the legacy. Sometimes she'd go out and people would have, for example, uh, a painting that they wanted to give to, to be sold so that the, the money could go to the charity. Other times, uh, it was a family member to say that uh, their mum or their dad had passed away and they'd left the house and absolutely everything in it. 
right, and the garden, and absolutely everything, and, and the shed, and everything in it, and all that junk, they'd left it all to the charity. Now, whether it was a big present gift or a small thing, the principle was, principle was the same. The givers wanted to leave something beyond the time that they had on earth. Now, keep with me. This is what God is promising supernaturally to all of us. He's calling all of us to lift our gaze from the now, the little things that we're involved in, to say, I want you to look at all the things that you do with with the lenses of legacy. Let me explain as we're going on. I'm not getting a lot of warmth here, so it's either I'm going too fast or it's, it's just not understood. God is leaving us, calling us to this place of legacy. Now, for David... His legacy promise, an agreement between him and God, uh, I mean, uh, scholars call it a covenant made between God and David and the people. This is a turning point. Uh, We've been exploring David's story under the theme destiny. Now we're going to explore it under this theme of legacy because this is a monumental moment. These words of promise that are spoken to David uh, are some have called the most significant words in the Old Testament. One commentator describes these words as the most crucial theological statement in the Old Testament. Now that's saying something, isn't it? The most crucial theological statement in the Old Testament. Why are these promises, why is this covenant between God and David so important? You see, when God makes a promise, a covenant, an agreement, to you or to David or to me, he, he means business. He, he made a promises, a covenant with Abraham, meant business, with Moses, with Noah, and now with David. John Piper, the preacher, uh, gets the heart of it with a clever little phrase. He says, when God makes a covenant or an agreement, he reveals his own job description and signs it. I absolutely love that. That's God saying, I'm going to bless you, and I'm signing it. I'm going to be with you, and he's signing it. I'm going to strengthen you and he signs it. Your enemies can't come against you, David, and he signs it. I'm giving you a future that will last forever, and he signs it. Now, what David didn't know that we know, because we have studied all history and all that stuff, and read the Bible, is that in the generations that followed from David, there were people who were going to totally mess it up. But God's promise was, even if your sons mess it up, and they did, I won't take away this promise from you. It will come true that a king will come in your line who will last forever. Sounding familiar yet? A king is coming who's going to rule forever, and he's in your family tree, David. What he didn't know, but we know now, is that 28 generations from now, there was a king born who would be the king of kings, king of an eternal kingdom who would reign at the right hand of God. His name is Jesus. David could have never imagined that in his line would be the Messiah, Jesus. The very first words of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1 verse 1 reveals it to us. It's a turning point in the Bible. It's the center of the Bible in its meaning. This is the genealogy, the family tree of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David the son of Abraham. Why does he mention that? Because what he's saying is that all the promises that were made to David have come now in the person of Jesus. All the promises that were made, the covenant that was made with Abraham has come to you through this Jesus. Wow, this is getting exciting, isn't it? It's not old history. This is present power in our lives. Uh, When uh, the angel comes to uh, Jesus' mummy, the angel says this, 
he will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. What David didn't know, but we know now, is that God had plans in mind for you and me and all of eternity in that moment. That's why it's the most crucial moment in the whole of Old Testament theology, because something wonderful changed there. If we zoom straight back into the room where David is sitting, thinking, what's going on here? I want to bring a palace, and you know, let me build a palace. You want to make a house of me? I want a kingly legacy. Not fair. I want to do that. Okay, I'll trust you. I'll follow you. No. Okay. He had no idea at all what was coming. And we should be grateful, we are grateful, aren't we, that David said yes to God. Because he said yes to God and the promises were articulated in his life, you and I have the opportunity to follow God, to be close to him. There's only one way to get close to God, the Bible tells us, and it's through the person of Jesus Christ, the descendant of King David. There's only one way to be put right with God, and that's by surrendering our lives to King Jesus as we have come to know him. The Bible says that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. In other words, you can take any promise from the Bible that's made to any of God's people, and this is big, okay? And in Christ Jesus, you have that promise and you have that blessing. Now, you don't seem too enamored by that. Let me tell you, if you Google it, you'll find there are 3,573, approximately, promises of God to his people. And every one of those is yes and amen to those of us who know Christ. David didn't know it. David sat there thinking, what's going on? I'll follow you, God. He didn't know that centuries later, his obedience was bringing all of that fruit in our lives. The presence, the power, the security and peace of God are ours because of God's great covenant. In the same way that God shook David out of thinking about the little things to think about legacy, to include thinking about legacy in their plans, God is doing exactly the same for you and I. Let me just explain this a little bit. You see, God's not content that you're just focused on the now. God's not content you're just focused on a little life. God has planned a bigger life for you than you could ever imagine because he's put legacy into your heart and he wants to put legacy into all the things that you're doing. That if you think legacy, you release the promises of God over your life every single day. Who doesn't want that? The promises of God are released and into the future. To David, he said, I will make you famous and stand by you. That's promises for now. God does bless us and help us now. And then he goes on, but when you're beyond your threescore years and ten, when you've popped your clogs, when you've popped this mortal coil, when you're dead and buried, when the sand is on your head, any way you like to put it, when you're gone, promises are coming your way. Your prom- these promises are going on beyond you. Now, this might sound all theoretical, but it's absolutely and totally practical. Let me explain. When you go to work tomorrow, you might be thinking, now, little thoughts. You might be thinking, I've got to get to work, got to get the tasks done, got to maximize the time I've got, I've got to last through to 5.15 or 5.30 or whatever. And, and, and in a sense, that's good. But God's got so much more for you in your workplace. God has got legacy planned for your workplace. I believe, and I speak it over you, that God has placed you in your workplace with eternity in mind. The men and the women around you, the customers or whatever kind of worker line, patients, students, whatever, I don't know what you do, but whatever it is you're doing, whatever, whoever it is you're serving, 
you're in a position to effect eternity into their lives because you're a believer and some of them are not. God has put you there with an eternal and legacy purpose. Wow, that changes work, doesn't it? I'm going to get up tomorrow, I'm going to run there. Well, maybe not. Okay, uh, what about if you own the business or, or you're in charge of it, you run it? You might be thinking now thoughts too. You might be thinking year end. I've got to get the year end figures done. Um, I've got to build more. I've got to sell more. I've got to squeeze more margin. All those things are good. You've got to run the business well. But God has spoken legacy into your workplace. You see, if you do it right, if you run your business under God's guidance, your integrity, your honesty will speak for years to come. If you invest properly in your company, you will feed your children and your grandchildren and your grandchildren's grandchildren's children's grandchildren's children. (laughs) All because you took the time not just to consume, but to create a legacy. That's what God can do in you. If your time in the workplace is over, some of you will be thinking, woohoo, some of you will be thinking, oh no, I've lost my sense of purpose. But God can speak legacy into your life right now and into the things that you're doing. If you're not sure of what to do, do this one thing, pray. Some of you have been doing it for 60 years already, right? You're the best prayers here. Okay, you don't you just say pray. So if you want anything to pray for, you're stuck. What am I going to pray for? What am I going to build a legacy for? Pray for me, okay? I'm, I'm more than happy to have a thousand people praying for me, okay? You can pray provision over my life and everybody else's. You can pray health over me. I'll, hap- I'll happily receive that. You can pray, pray anything good for me if you're stuck. And then start praying for the government. Start praying for the church leadership. Start praying for the country. Start praying for the nation. Start praying for the continent. Start, we're still in Europe, even if we're not. Start, pray for them. Pray for the world. Pray for God's kingdom to come. Because when you're praying that, you're planting a legacy. Are you with me so far? Okay, now, some people, there's a saying that people don't want to plant trees from which they won't get the fruit. You get the gist? That is... Nobody wants to plant an apple tree if it's going to take 50 years for the apples to come. It's in our society. We all want to plant things that are going to give fruit quickly. In fact, we went to the, well, my wife went to the garden center and brought a little plant that's already got fruit on it. Woo, yeah. But the Bible's principle is different from that. The Bible's principle is that's now thinking. And it's good, there's nothing wrong with that. But God's got so much more for you. You see, uh, someone came to me after the first service and said, do you know that you can plant an olive tree? An olive tree doesn't come to its total fruitfulness until it's 100 years old. So the person who's planting the olive tree is thinking, I might get some olives off of this, but most importantly, someone in 100 years is going to get this fruitfulness. Now, I've got another 55 years of life at least left in me. I know, I'll be 65 when when I go to glory. But, um, no, 165, that'll do. You get this idea, there's legacy to be had in our lives. If you're at school or at your college or university, now is the time to start thinking legacy thinking. I know you're thinking, I'm young, I don't need to start thinking legacy. It's the same as pensions, that's like, I don't need to think for another 50 years. You need to think now. If I've got another 50 years to go and you're 20, you've got another 85 years to go. And so you should start planting legacy things now. Don't be totally selfish. No, you'll be successful, that's good. But start thinking how you can put legacy into the future from the decisions you make now. If you're at home, this is my last illustration of this, if you're at home with your children tomorrow, some of you might be thinking, mums or dads, you might be thinking, 
Now thoughts, okay, yeah, now I've got to clean the place up, now I've got to feed them, now I've got to water them, now I've got to do all the things you've got to do. Some of you will be thinking, oh, no, I just wish I was back at work, I wish I could do it. That's not totally wrong, but can you start thinking that you've got a legacy to sow there? I encourage you to pray for your children, teach them to love him, teach them to read, teach them to think about things and work problems out for themselves. What a gift you'll give to them. Teach them about the poor and disadvantaged in the world. And in years to come, even when you're dead and buried, they will look back to your investment and thank God for all that you've sown into their lives. Bless you. Sow legacy into things. Every one of us can live life with eternity in mind. History changed because the promises of God are released to the people who will plant legacy. In the palace, we learned to put first things first. In the promise, we learned to live life as a legacy. And now the third P, we come to the prayer that David makes. And what can we learn from this prayer? We learn from this prayer that we have to activate the promise by faith. Now, I haven't got a lot of time, but let me just land this for you. Uh, We have to take the promises that God has made over our lives, and we have to activate them. It's a bit, let me give you three quick illustrations. The first, have you ever had a new bank card sent to you? You know, if you get a new bank card, it comes, and it's usually got a sticker over the front, and it says, this card must be activated by ringing this number, or whatever, before it will let you have the resources that's there. So, if you can imagine all the promises of God are all stored behind this card, but unless you activate it, you have no access to the resources that's there. God has promised you, and I promise you it's there. You can read the Bible 3,752 times at least. Promises over your life, but they have to be activated, and they have to be activated by faith. I don't know if you've heard the story about the guy who uh, went to his gym and complained. He said, just before Christmas, I picked up this leaflet. It said, lose three stone in three months. I signed up. I paid £30 a month for the last three months. And as you can see, not, not me, don't look at me. Okay, this is not, this is, this is not my story. I read this somewhere, okay? Um, it hasn't worked. And he said, yes, sir, but you have to activate your membership and actually come to the gym if you're hoping to lose any weight. You have to activate it. Now, here's what, another example, third one. Is this coming across, this activation? Last week, I confess before you, I had a really tough day, one of, the, one of the days last week. I had a lot of things to think about, and uh, yeah, it was, just, it was just like that, honestly was. A lot of things to think about, a lot of things to try and get a resolution on, so much so that I went to bed that night and I was unresolved about some of the things. Now, in the middle of the night, which was very convenient of him, but God kind of woke me up at half past three in the morning. I wish it had been later, but it was half past three in the morning. He got my attention. He said, David, I want you to get up and to go and read all the Psalms that begin with the number nine. It's like, what? 90, 91, 92, 93, and so on. So what do you do? I got up, I went downstairs, put a cup of tea on, found the Bible, started reading through all of those. I read through 90, 91, 92, 93, 94, 95, 99, nothing. I just thought, what is going on here? Sat again, got to 92 this time, verse 10, and God spoke straight to my heart. Here's what he said. It's a great verse, a brilliant verse, NLT, the New Living Testament. But you have made me as strong as a wild ox. You have anointed me with the finest oils. And I thought, I'll have that. That is perfect for what I have got to face tomorrow. I can go into tomorrow knowing that you have spoken a promise over me. I, I can be strong 
through this, working these things out, and I know that all the things I'm going to do tomorrow, all the meetings I'm going to do tomorrow, are anointed ahead of time by you. Now, I have to activate that. So here's how I think. It's like steps. Your first step is faith. I believe God is good. I believe, life is still no effort, God is good for his promises. So in this case, God spoke this promise to me in the middle of the night. I went back to bed. I woke up in the morning. And what did I do? I didn't just ignore it. I said, I have to put that into action. That's the other one. It's faith and action. Faith and action. James speaks about Abraham and he says, the great thing about Abraham was that he combined his faith and his action together. His faith and his actions worked together to make his faith complete. That's what we have to do. Today is activation day. All the promises of God are spoken over your life. If you're a faith person you, and you, you don't believe in actually carrying out what God has said, all you're going to do is hop along. I would illustrate, but my hopping days are gone, okay? Um, we're just hopping along on, on, on one side. And you, you make progress, but it's not balanced. Equally, if you're a hard worker, you say, I'm just going to work for God. I'm going to do all the things that God says, but I'm not thinking about faith. Again, you'll make some progress, but God's designed you to activate his promises in your life by faith on the one hand. I believe God is good for it. God is strong for it. And I'm going to act like it. So when I came to work the next morning, I'm, I've got this promise ringing in my head and I'm going to act like a strong man. I'm going to act like an anointed man all through all the things that are going on today. Now this, this is not about me. This is about the promises of God in your life. God has released the promises of his promises, God's promises into your life, but you have to activate them. That's what David had to do. King David had to do it, so we have to do it. He said, sovereign God, seven times in this passage. It's only eight verses long. Seven times he says, sovereign God. This is a king. David is a king. David is in the palace. David is a king of the whole of Israel. And he says, sovereign God, you are the king of kings. And he is activating all that God has sowed into his life. What an amazing story this is. In the palace, we learn we need to put first things first. In the promises, we acknowledge the fact that we've got to live our life. Well, we don't have to, but I encourage you to live your life as a legacy. And in the prayer, we have this strong sense that we have to activate that which God has played in us. David didn't sit around wondering if God will do what he said. David didn't sit around thinking, wondering if God is capable of doing what God said he would do. David's not sitting around saying if he had heard God correctly. He's activated it and he stepped out. And as we'll see over the next six weeks, as we look at stories from the, the second half of the life of David, he lived out the promises that God placed in his heart. And so as we conclude this morning, I want to encourage you to activate the faith and the promises of God in your own life.